You got a problem, you don't know what to do. Your dreams are strange, and you're seeing things too. The world is full of mystery. Life's more than you can see. You can ask pomegranate. You can ask pomegranate. She's a priestess. Hello, psychics. Welcome to Ask Pomegranate. This is our second palmcast. My number, 520-222-9922. Got to get the Canadian accent for the number. If I do it with the Oregonian accent, it's 9922. So anyway, welcome to <laughs> welcome to Ask Pomegranate, delving into the mysteries of life, death, and beyond. Today I want to talk about um, something I saw recently on my Facebook, which was this button that said, I am the rainbow sheep of the family. <laughs> I loved it. I was like, I totally, I totally am the rainbow sheep of my family. I am totally the weirdo. I am the whacked out one. Um, I grew up in Toronto, Canada from the suburbs, a uh, little pocket that is was built for factory workers to be in. And everybody in Canada is uh, an immigrant, especially in Toronto. And so everybody was just trying to assimilate into Canadian culture. Of course, there really kind of wasn't one, but um, and trying to be normalized. And we were getting a lot of our information about who to be off of, you know, TV and Primarily TV commercials. Remember how when time TV commercials used to be the instruction manual for how to be a human being and how to fit in? And I didn't fit in. <laughs> you know, I don't know about you, but I didn't fit in. I was a weirdo from the beginning. I was a weird, sensitive kid. I Sensitive to the sun, sensitive to the world around me, feeling, you know, everybody's emotions running through my body all the time and knowing, you know, when things were th adult problems, when I didn't even know what it, the adult problems were, knowing what was going to happen tomorrow, being really freaked out by that and thinking that means that I'm making it happen. I remember that whole journey when I was around seven and waking up one day and realizing, oh my God, this thing happened and I thought it last night and then it happened today and that means I'm making it happen. Um, so I want to talk about being the rainbow sheep of the family and growing up in a culture that doesn't really recognize sensitivity and is starting, we're getting better about it, but it's starting to, especially when I was a kid. So um, what has, what this leads to, and I think this is a, this is what happens when you're the, the square peg in the round hole or the, or the black sheep or the rainbow sheep is that um, everybody's, the primary wound of our culture is that everybody feels wrong. Everybody feels like there's something wrong with them. And uh, you can apply this, you know, I don't know, you can blame the Christians, you can, I don't, but I think you got the problem, same problem in India, they've got a caste system, for heaven's sakes, and then you can't blame the Christians over there, where, you know, somebody, the, you know, there's the untouchables, they certainly were born wrong, and so it's a, it's a thing we do as humans, is we like to stratify, and we like to say, maybe somebody was born wrong, and maybe we're all born wrong, inherently damaged original sin and somehow we have got this in our psyche it's be clear this is an idea in our brain that is the only place this idea this thing exists it does not exist in reality 
And so it causes so much trouble. And when you're, you know, the weirdo in the bunch of a bunch of people who feel like there's something inherently wrong with them, and the, they're, everybody's spending all their time trying to either cover it up or act it out or repair it or make excuses for it or drink it away or smoke it away or whatever or eat it away. Um, and you're the one who really sticks out. It's like, it's almost like either you're going to get killed because you're the one who sticks out or you're going to be the one who heals it because you can't hide it. You're not like the rest of them that can hide it because you're particularly unusual. Of course, the story is you're the one who's unusual. You're just the one who can't hide it. <laughs> Everybody is weird. Even the straightest person you know is a complete weirdo underneath it all. They're just the best at hiding it. it means they're the least likely to heal it. That's all. So you're the most likely to heal this idea that you're wrong. And um, it's up, you know, it's up. This feeling of being wrong and this feeling that, you know, what you think and what you say, what you express, especially particularly what you express is wrong. And there's a range of that, obviously, all the way from I am truly poisonous and evil and will destroy the world to I'm, I just can't ever seem to get it right. And um, I think it's Hildegard of Biggin who said uh, this, this amazing, mind-blowing and simple prayer, which is, all things are well. All manner of things are well. All things are well. And the first time I heard that, I thought, what? <laughs> and I knew it was true. I could feel it. I could feel it resonate in through my body like a bell ringing through me. And my brain revolted. It said, no, <laughs> no, that makes no sense. All things are well. No, can't you see that we're destroying the earth and... People are, you know, there's, you know, misogyny and bigotry and homophobia. Not all things are not well, ah, you know, and, and we not, we can't do that. We have to get out there and fight the good fight. And, you know, and, and I, and it was a contrast. I didn't know what to do with it, but what, it, and, and that, and that is a, an interesting topic. What is, maybe, maybe someone will, maybe I'll talk about that, that particular topic in another podcast, but, but what it further did to me is it went, what? I can't be well. There's something really wrong with me. Everybody my whole life has told me there's something really wrong with me. And it's been etched into my brain. I thought it was etched into my soul, but it was only etched into my brain. And brains are made out of a thing that looks like putty. So you, it's hard to change them. But once you change them, you know, it's just putty. You can change them. You just have to work for it. I think scientists have proven, maybe Dr. Chick sent me high of the flow books has proven it's 21 days or 30 days of continuous focus to change a habit. No more than 60. If you do it every day, meant multiple times, your habit will change within 60 and it will become the way you live. So we can change this idea. And what when I heard that prayer, it went through me that there was something wrong with me and that how could I be well? And then I thought about the word well well which means the source the place from which the waters flow the source the place from which the waters the source the place from which all things flow which the life-giving source all things are well <sighs> 
which meant I was of the life-giving source, that I was well, I was the well, I was of the life-giving source, that I was part of source, and that no matter what happened to me on this adventure, that I was well, and that all things were well, all manner of things were well. All, it, it, it does not go, all things are wrong, all manner of things are wrong, all things are wrong. It does not go that. And when I hear that, I go, what? Ah! No, 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 no. I let it ring through me. Hildegard of Bingen, the great mystic nun, musician, all medievalist. She was from the Middle Ages. She said, and just let see if you can let it ring through you the way it rang through me. All things are well, all manner of things are well, all things are well. Having said that, welcome to the podcast. Up next, your questions. Dial 520 520-222-9922. 520-222-9922. Hi, Pomegranate. I have a question. Uh, my daughter asked me the other day, what is a pagan? I was wondering if you could enlighten me and her. Thank you. What is a pagan? That's a great question. Um, I have a really long answer to that question, <laughs> actually, um, which is I'm going to go on to define, from my perspective, many other things and sort of how they, uh, from a Western perspective, how they pan out. Pagan is a, is a word that defines Western indigenous populations, basically. Um, indigenous uh, white people. So when we were indigenous to our land, and we just lived on it, and we had a relationship with the land, we were pagans. And um, a pagan is someone who ha is a person who has a relationship to the land. So they recognize that the land itself feeds them in food and water and energy and biophilia. It gives them a feeling of the biology. They, they feel interconnected with the trees and the sky and the um, water. It turns out that biophilia is an essential part of our health and that as we move into the, we have moved into the industrial age and we have um, removed signs of nature from our environments and made them less biophilic, we have created environments that are depressing and draining and cause us to be sick and cause us to be mentally ill and that architects and interior designers are starting to realize that, that we need to bring those elements back in. Uh, we also need to go outside. I live in Oregon, so we have abundance of that uh, outsideness. <laughs> we have a lot of outside here. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I don't know if they have outside where you live. <laughs> but you want to be out in it, despite the rain. Um, so pagans had this relationship with the land where they recognized it and they recognized that it was important to them. And we're starting to remember that now in the modern era. Um, I, I blame some architects 
who I have a resentment towards, Mies van der Rohe. Did I say that out loud? Sorry. Um, who, you know, they're just getting rid of that feeling of interconnectedness. And there's a sort of an Ayn Randian alienation that came about and the glorification of buildings as monuments. And now we're changing that. We're like, no, we like wood and we like plants and we like to see outdoors and we like to have water nearby. And we like the sound of water and all of these things help us stay alive and they help us stay interconnected. And so a pagan, this is not an answer for your daughter. Now I'm going to give you the answer you can tell your daughter. A pagan is somebody who says, oh, the earth is alive and I'm a part of that life. And in that things that are alive are in systems or in um, ecosystems and ecosystems are interconnected. And so they think that's special and they think that's spiritual and they go, yay, that's special and spiritual ecosystems. Yay. I'm a part of an ecosystem, an ecological system, and I will impact it. I will influence it and it impacts me and it influences me. So suddenly that's, sort of sounds a lot less woo woo, right? Than maybe previously thought, don't worry, I'm getting to the woo woo, it's coming. Um, so that's what a pagan is. Now a pagan also says that that means that because I'm alive and the ecosystem is alive, the earth is alive, the earth is interconnected, and it has cycles. When we notice these things, we notice that it also has cycles. And these cycles are based on um, depending on where you are in the globe, it's based on the wheel of the year. And there's more or less of an impact of that wheel of the year. And we recognize that wheel of the year. And we recognize with each turn of it that we change and we grow and we become embodied um, in a different body every year. And we become a new person and we are renewed and we go through a life and death cycle every year. We go through a life and death cycle culminating in the winter solstice, which is right around Christmas. See if this sounds like anything you've heard before. So at the end of the year, we go through a death process at Halloween. And then as we go through that death process, we are reborn at winter solstice and we all go through that life and death cycle every year. And so Jesus is sort of um, one of the mythologies that echoes that. There's lots of other ones. There's ones that are actually precisely like his, which are 10,000 years older than his story. But his story is a good one. I'm cool. I'm down with Jesus and his story because it reflects our story. So that's what a pagan is. And so a pagan recognizes that wheel of year. A pagan celebrates that wheel of year. Pagan. So for your daughter's sake, it's pagans recognize that the earth is alive everything is interconnected and they're happy about that. Yay. So they have celebrations probably about eight times a year. Yay. That's a pagan. Uh, now let me go on. Let me expound upon this because what I like to do is expound and shall here I shall go and I shall go on for many, many more topics. I'll go through a whole range of them from witch to mystic to priestess to shaman. And what are all these different things? So what's a witch? So a witch is a person that recognizes that the earth is alive, everything's interconnected, this should be celebrated, yay! And not only that, but that uh, I as an individual, and, and my, one of my practices in addition to uh, my, one of my spiritual paths being Catholicism, is uh, witchcraft. So for me, and that's, these are the languages that work for me in religion, I like these languages, Catholicism, 
and I like the one I like uh, not everything about it, obviously. And witchcraft, I don't like everything about that either. <laughs> but I don't like everything about anything. So that's me. Um, a witch says, Oh, I'm interconnected with everything. And that means I'm empowered. They take that part about I can influence it and I'm influenced by it very seriously. And they realize if they bring intention to their themselves, if they use their intention, their ability to go, I intend this, that they can impact the world around them in an even greater way. We say three times this power, whatever you put out comes back to you three times. So when you put something out, it goes, it echoes around the world at least three times more powerfully than you put it out. So we can influence the world and we also then are influenced by the world. So whatever we do influences ourselves and we recognize that power and we own that power and we then have, uh, take that seriously and begin to use that power. And we call that spell working and we call that witchcraft. And if you weren't a witch, you would call it prayer and you would call it spirituality. So that's what a witch is. Somebody who recognizes the world's interconnected and that everything, everything is um, alive and that that should be celebrated. And I have the power. I'm empowered to impact that and also to be influenced by it. And we take that influence seriously. That's what a witch is now. A mystic is a person who may probably recognizes most of that. But what they recognize for sure is that not only is the earth alive and interconnected, but that it is connected, not only is it interconnected to itself, but that it's interconnected to other things, which are just that far away that we can't quite understand what they are. So a mystic or the other person you might want to put into this category are um, string theorists. (laughs) You know, mystics use their ability to sense and feel and and, um, that magic and string theorists use the magic of numbers. I think they're very, very close in my personal opinion. I don't make a big difference between Michio Kaku and Starhawk. I think they're kind of similar. Um, So... Uh, the mystic will then get in touch with the mysterious realms. That's what we call the mysterious realms. That Those things that are not of the earth or of the earth, but are strange and unusual and mysterious, and they can access that mystery. So that's what a Catholic priest does. Is when he raises the host above the altar and he brings the holy energy, holy ghost into the host. I don't know if any of you have been to the to mass, but that's what happens. It's a, you know, Catholicism is a mystic religion. So he brings it up and all of a sudden mystery happens. Woo! It's no longer a nice little piece of bread manufactured in some factory somewhere. It is the body of Christ, which means it is the earth itself. So that's mystery. Also, when you listen to a person who's channeling uh, a deity or a divine person or a, or a, another an old soul or whatever if you've ever heard a channel they're mystics and they're working in mysterious realms and they're sort of they're sort of accessing it people who write about esoterica are accessing it so that's what a mystic is so pagan witch mystic priestess oh that's me i'm a priestess she's a priestess um <laughs> 
A priestess is someone who recognizes that the earth is alive and everything's interconnected. Yay! Recognizes that they have personal power and they can impact it. Recognizes that there's a mysterious realm and they can access it. And then they also feel a certain, because they have certain abilities to access the mysterious realms, they feel that they have a calling to do service work for the people, the planet, and they mediate. They stand as if there was a gate or they can open a gate between the mundane realms or the muggly realms and the mysterious realms. And they stand at that gate and they, like the sibyls at Delphi, they bring the messages through. So oracles and priestesses bring the messages through. And they are always, 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 always working with the mandate to heal. Their job is to be healers. A priestess is a healer. If you ever encounter someone who's a priest, calls himself a priest or a priestess, I'll use the word priestess. You can use the word priest. You can use the third neutral, gender neutral word. I don't care. I, when I say priestess, I mean all y'all. I don't care what gender you got. Um, a pre, uh, if you ever encounter a priest or a priestess who is uh, saying I'm a priest or a priestess and what they do is not healing then they are charlatans and you should avoid them and um, use your intuition to check that one out with anything what I say when anybody says or anybody does so a priestess mediates that ma magical energy that mystical energy and brings it through for the purposes of healing and so she stands at that gate that's what she does or he does and then there is the shamans, a Russian word. And it is, uh, shaman is someone who recognizes all the things heretofore, notices that there are gates between the realms, can see the gates, can open the gates between the realms of mundane and mystery, and can, in fact, go through into the realms of mundane and mystery, can bring things through from the realms of mundane and mystery, can allow their bodies to be completely taken over in a thing we call full trance channeling, where an entire god or goddess comes into the shaman's body and then you are in the presence of the divine um, and George is now, you know, on vacation. The, the shaman goes uh, onto a little trip and the deity comes in and takes over the body and brings great power through. The shaman will go through that gate. They will do things in the mysterious realms to help this world. I think Carlos Castaneda talks about this a little bit in his books. Um, that guy's a total trickster um, priest his his job was to be a bit of a trickster and he did a good job at it he's, he was always tricking everybody but he talks about real things um so he you go through and you do things there and those things that you do there can help bring the balance back to this world can help people help people learn their karmic lessons can help people heal um, of course healing is a form of karmic learning um, can help people learn their karmic lessons and heal heal their bodies and heal their souls. Often people are soul sick and shamans help you heal from your soul sickness. Um, also, shamans' works are always, 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 always to heal.
anybody who's doing that work and is not a healer is involved in some kind of spiritual materialism, which they might call shamanism, but it's not. And that's just really simple, simple, simple and true. Uh, in my opinion, which this is what this is all about. Um, so that's the difference between those things. Pagan, witch, mystic, priestess, shaman. Hope that's helpful. You can ask pomegranate. My name's Star. I'm a priestess and a, a witch in Portland, Oregon. And my question is, what... Well, let's start it this way. My brother-in-law is a very religious, born-again Christian and believes that paganism and witchcraft is the mark of the devil. But I have to go and visit him from time to time and his family because my mother-in-law's up there. And of course, she's highly tolerant, and that's fine. Uh, and my husband is always nervous that I'm going to spill the beans and let it out that I'm a witch and will never be able to go back to see these guys again. And so I want to know, how do I respect my husband's concerns um, and yet still remain true to myself and who I am in the face of intolerance? This is an interesting question because it's one of those questions where you have to kind of pan for the gold, you know, you have to sift through, you have to sift through to find out what is the actual problem here. Um, there's a lot of ways that you could react to this. You could react to your brother-in-law's intolerance and his close-mindedness and his witch when people are intolerant and close-minded. And I would love to say right now that close-mindedness and intolerance is a part of the human psyche. It is not um, cannot be blamed on any one religion. We can't go, oh, the Christians, they're so close-minded and intolerant. You can find it in every religious practice, spiritual practice. Uh, it's just a thing humans like to do. And they do it because they're afraid. Their their fear is, is up, and they are unable to manage their fear in any way that makes them feel uh, resolved about it. So they So they... What we do, I've done this, you've done this, I know you've done this in small ways, haven't you? Where, and I've certainly done it, where what happens is you feel afraid and so you try to find rules. It's like, well, that was scary. Let me get a rule so I can organize the world because the world feels too chaotic and too scary and too dangerous to me. So I'm going to get a rule. I'm going to get that rule and that rule is going to organize the world around me. Yay, I feel organized, right? And then what happens? Well, you know, the nature of the... <laughs> The universe is the the beautiful dance between chaos and sublime patterns. That's the nature of it. It goes back and forth. And so when you make a rule and you try to organize that and make it stay, stay, you know. If Earthways teaches anything, you can't make anything stay. So you make it stay. And then, of course, chaos seeps in. So what do you do? You make another rule. And then, of course, that happens again. So you make another rule, more rules. Every rule, every time chaos seeps in, you need another rule to control, control, control. Eventually, you're, you're and, and of course, the this has the opposite effect of calming. It actually makes you feel more fearful and more afraid and more anxiety-ridden, which is a part of what's happening to people right now as we go through this intense transition that the planet's undergoing, is people feel out of control and afraid. And so you're going to see more 
Carlos mindedness control and bigotry um, as we go. And that's what's happening with your brother-in-law is that he's afraid and he's trying to make, he's made a whole bunch of rules and he's made himself into a, a little world that is working for him um, until the next chaotic storm comes through and then he has to make more rules. Eventually that breaks down and this life or next he'll go, oh, I just have to surrender. Surrender is the answer to that, by the way. If you find yourself in the middle of that, yourself in the middle of that kind of fundamentalist thinking, um, surrender, you know, to something larger than yourself. I like to surrender to things that I can see and feel. So I surrendered myself to the planet because I can see and feel that. And I go, oh, you're bigger than me. I surrender to you. <laughs> you know, you got me here. I was certainly wasn't by my will that I got born or grew. I'm not growing. I'm not able to age by my will. I'm aging because the planet takes care of my body and lets me age and will one day release me. So so you could address that, his fundamentalism, and you could even be confrontative if, if you want to, um, and you would, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. There's, that could be a good thing, but you'd have to know why. So your question is, my question for you would be, what's my intention? What am I, what, what do I want out of this? The other thing that could be a little piece of gold that might be going on is, is it could be your husband's also fearful. He's afraid of his brother. And he's afraid of, clearly he's afraid of losing his relationship with his brother. Um, so that's a meaningful relationship to him. And he's also afraid of losing his relationship to you. And so he's operating out of his fears too. Um, so there's that nugget. What do we do with, with your husband he's being afraid of losing his brother and you and losing you? And he sees, he's decided, your husband has decided that there's a conflict there. I don't know that there is. It's just what he's decided. We haven't nobody's talked about it so we don't know nobody's delved into it so is there a conflict there um then there's the other nugget which is do you get to be who you truly are um in your life and that might be the issue so you got to look at these 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 are the three primary issues um i always want to start with myself so what's wrong with me that i feel like i What's wrong with me that I'm feeling nervous about this? What do I need? What's going on with me? What's my intention? Is your intention to, is it your work to always be out and proud of every part of who you are and everybody should know about it right away? It's not like it's your sexuality. So if it was your sexuality, I'd be like, you know what? The guy's got to deal with it. You know, we're not hiding sexuality. It's too fundamental to who we are. But on the other hand, do you talk to everybody about your religion immediately? I mean, is it really everybody's business? If it is, then like me, right? That's my business. It is my business. I'm pretty out with it. I don't tell everybody immediately. Hi, I'm Pomegranate Doyle. I'm a witch and a priestess. Let's do a psychic reading. Like I don't do that. I have, you know, mundane parts of my life that are, that are more about, you know, just having a dance, going and dancing and then it, and ordering a hamburger. And like, I would like a hamburger and I'm a priestess and a witch in case you were wondering, you know, no. Um, but I don't hide it either. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to ask yourself what's my intention what's going on with me then you go to the next closest relationship which is what's going on between me and my husband why is he afraid that i'm going to wreck his relationship with his brother what can what can i find out about this fear he has about losing his brother is this actually nothing to do with me and all to do with his relationship with his brother 
And then the closer you are to a person, that's the sooner they come into the picture. Sounds like you're not very close to the brother. It sounds like you don't spend much time with him because he's far away. I think I heard you say that, or maybe I'm picking it up psychically. Um, <laughs> so you don't have that much interaction. It's pretty limited. He sounds like he's fairly close-minded. It sounds like your family holidays will turn into a confrontation if that's okay with you. And that's that weighing that against, um, being out to him is more important that you're true to yourself, which it might be. And I encourage you, if it is, then come out and just tell your brother, he's, your husband, he's going to have to figure out how to handle that, that things change. And he, after all, your husband picked you, you're the one he picked, you know, you're his problem to deal with because <laughs> he married you, he picked you. So you got to take that in and let him handle, let him handle the fact that he picked you, you know, to a certain extent, that's his problem. And really the problem, as I see it, when I look at this, I go, there's two problems that you need to look at. One is the problem, well, three, the problem between you and yourself and how you feel about yourself and your strength and courage to be who you are um, and to when and when you don't want to expose things. Because if you're bothered by not exposing it, then there's a problem. If you're not bothered by it, it's no big deal. All right? And that's how you know, because you're bothered. I mean, there's plenty of people who I don't immediately tell, but I'm not bothered by that. So then the next problem is between you and your husband, which is he's tr fearful of you, the reality of who he married, <laughs> who he fell in love with. And, you know, you guys need to work on that a little. And then there's the problem between your husband and your brother, his brother. And that's actually only a little bit your business. It's like, you know, honey, that's your problem between you and your brother. Can you work it out? Because you married me. Um, so separate those things out, figure out which ones are yours, you, the relationship between you and you, the relationship between you and your husband. You're actually not in charge of the, his relationship with his brother. And then take the minimal action. What is the smallest thing you can do to repair the relationship with yourself? And what is the smallest thing you can do to repair your relationship with your husband so that he lets you be yourself? And then probably there's almost nothing you need to do about that other one because it's really kind of not your business. So what's my business? What isn't? And what's the minimal thing I need to do? That's what I would suggest. Thanks for the call. You can ask Pomegranate. 
And there was a woman next to him on his left. She had long hair, native as well. And she started teaching me some things, which I don't remember. And he, um, he was teaching me, and then he was teaching another student. And they did this strange thing where they were taking a plate with a basket on top and a candle. And as soon as the elder lit the candle for the other trainee, I turned around, and there was an alley. And the alley was pitch black, even though it was light out. And there was something in the alley that was kind of, um, well, it was really frightening. And I remember being very scared. And then um, there was something that shot an arrow towards my heart. And it, I kind of brushed it away just before it hit me. And then I woke up. And I was pretty shaken by the whole thing. So... Um, before that, I actually asked my dream, I'm like, okay, I need some clarification on my career. I just need to know a little bit of a direction. And so I'm kind of not sure how serious to take something like that or not. Juliet, using your dreams for solving problems and asking questions and having adventures is a really great technique. And it does require developing a skill set and some language and some understanding in order to fully utilize the, your dreams. And they are very, very powerful. Um, more than one famous inventor, actually a friend of mine who invented the camera that um, does a 360-degree shot of the world, which now Google uses for um, street view. He invented the camera for that. And that he, I remember one time we were at a retreat and he came downstairs from sleeping and he said, I just had a dream resolving my problem with the key part of this camera. And it totally made the camera work where he would have been stuck. And he got that information through a dream. So anyway, back to your dream. Um, so that's an interesting dream. You asked a question before you went to sleep. People, good idea. Ask questions before you go to sleep. And then you will get these baffling answers from your dreams. And the reason they're baffling is because dreams utilize our abstract nature. Dreams utilize our the right side of our brains. They use, we dream in symbols. And there's all kinds of dreams. And I think as the podcasts go on, I'll can delve more into the different kinds of dreams and what they do and how to interpret them. But for your dream, you had a dream about um, what my career is. And you said you were in magic school. And so, and then you have dreams about First Nations people and you had dreams about shamans and you had dreams about shamans shooting arrows at you. So on first take, I'm like, well, <laughs> it seems like you should be working in the mysterious realms and working on behalf of people to um, learn more about it. And you are doing that. So your dream is encouraging you to go forward. Um, when you dream about animals and they're being helpful to you, you could always just say, well, okay, so, so the rabbit, I'm driving, I'm riding on a rabbit. One technique is, to just simply go, what are rabbits? What are rabbits like? How, how do I experience rabbits in the world? And why don't dream books, dream interpretation books work? Because they are saying, well, the river symbolizes your bloodstream or the river symbolizes whatever they say. Um, a, cat, a black cat in dream means doom to come. Um, because they are saying one set of symbols. And in fact, 
your dream is highly individualized to your set of symbols and what your symbols are, are really particular to you. So a black cat in your dream is going to be something other than a black cat in my dream. And I have to figure out what my symbols are. And once you do, you can kind of stick to them and they'll recur. You know, those symbols will recur because one way our spirit guides talk to us is through our dreams. So they give us little images. Um, so a rabbit, what's a rabbit? You know, what, what do I, how do I experience rabbits? And that, that animal can then become a helper to you. The rabbit is a helper to you and it helps you understand your nature or it helps you understand how to get from where you are to where you'll be going. You were riding the rabbit. So it's about transportation. It's about transporting you from one place to another. So notice the obvious actions. You're being transported or the dreams where you're trying really hard to get somewhere and you can't or um, you're stuck. And that's going to give you the action. If you encounter a person in your dream, like you had a shaman in the dark, right? Um, who's shooting an arrow at you. So what you can do is just describe what that person was like to your, just write it down. Just like, well, they were small, they were dark, they were energetic. They were, they were mean, they were hysterical. Say that. I don't know if that's what they were, but pretend they were just write those down. And then what you have to do, and here's the key. Remember there's symbols. So what is a symbol? A symbol is a gateway. It holds the place for the truth that is behind it. So in order to get the truth, you have to let go of the symbol. So let go of the dream at this point and just read to yourself the list of characteristics and say, ask yourself the question, who in my life right now is small, dark, hysterical, mean, and sort of, I feel like aiming things at me. If that's the characteristics and then ask, and then don't think too hard, take the first answer. And the dream that, that shaman was that person in your life. Um, and then for, like you said, a, you had a candle and you had a plate. And so you can figure out what those things are symbolizing too, with a technique. Oh, there's a woman who developed this technique. I'm going to look it up and find out who it is and let you know at the end of the podcast. Um, but the technique basically is you, what do you do? You um, pretend that you are talking to somebody who is from a foreign land and somewhat simple-minded and has not encountered the world that you live in. One play, one really easy way to do it is imagine you're talking to an alien from another planet and what you do is you, you just take, well, there was a plate. So let's just, I'll do it for fun because I don't have the dream, but let's pretend it was my dream and I had a plate in it. So I have a plate and I forget about the dream and I don't worry about what was happening, what kind of plate it was in the dream. I just remember a plate and I say, I try to describe to the alien from another planet what a plate is. And I say, a plate is a thing that I'm trying to get abstracted, right? A thing that is used by people. See, but people doesn't work because he doesn't know what people is. So beings like me who want to hold vital 
nutrition, but he doesn't know what nutrition is. So I have to say vital life force. So what in my life is a thing that holds vital life force? And so then I have to say, well, right now, that's my body. So the plate symbolizes my body. So the plate is about my physical form, my body. And that's how it works, right? And I can do it, even though it was my dream, I can still do it. <laughs> because everything symbolizes something for someone. Now, if you, when you do it, it might symbolize something different. And so now I have your dream, which is about, you know, rabbits, which for me are about fun and joviality and hopping and getting places. I'm getting somewhere through fun and joviality and I'm getting places and I'm using my, being handed my body, I'm being given the gift of my body and it's got a candle. So if I did a candle, it would be life force and it's filled with flame. It's filled with light. And that, that thing is being shot in the heart by this small dark person who's, who's intense. And that's my friend, you know, Isabella, who is a magic, very powerful, magical person. And she's shooting me in the heart with an arrow. And what is an arrow? Well, let's pretend I came up with an arrow is a transformative thing that changes you. And there's my dream. I understand it now. It's about getting where I want to go, vital life force in my body and being transformed by a magical person who's teaching me something important. Okay. So that, if that helps you interpret, um, and what you can do is before you go to bed at night is you can drop a question in. You just like, right. As you're going to sleep, you just go, give me information about this. And when you wake up in the morning before you move, just try to remember your dream. And what's key is try to remember, because even after you move, you're going to forget. So you have to remember like, oh, I had a dream about an arrow and a rabbit and, a, and an arrow. And you go arrow, rabbit, flame. Those three words, arrow, rabbit, flame, not the whole thing, arrow, rabbit, flame. And they will open the dream back up for you later when you, you know, when you get up and go to the bathroom, wash your face and you go arrow, rabbit, flame. It's like, what was the dream? What was the dream? Oh, yeah. It'll all unfold for you again. So that's a technique to use and dreams are awesome and they're a real beautiful gateway into the mysterious realms. Because after all, don't you find it interesting that we can stay here on the planet for tops 16 hours um, comfortably with that before we have to get off, we have to go, I'm out. Like our bodies just go, man, I'm out. I can't do it no more. I got to go. I got to go on a mystical journey. I've been on the planet Earth for too long. 16 hours is tops. And some of us can go for eight before we need a nap. And um, so, you know, that's why babies sleep so much. They're like, hi, I'm here. Oh, my God. Okay, got to go. So we leave the planet, you know, every day for a third of the day. We're out. We're out because there's only so much time we can spend here. It's really intense, <laughs> you know. Um we're all on mystical journeys every night and you're all dreaming, whether you remember them or not. This episode of Ask Pomegranate is brought to you by Crossroads Mystery School, taught by the amazing teacher, Sage Good. Check her out at sagegood.com. Sage offers telephone ritual workings, which are ways to, t to learn about the mysteries via the telephone. So if you live far away from a teacher, you can access her at sagegood.com. Crossroads Mystery School, S-A-G-E-G-O-O-D-E.com. You can ask pomegranate. Hi, Pom. I have a question about France. Um, I was wondering, so 
when someone does a meditation, like an extended meditation on a certain set of archetypes or a certain aspect of deity, at what point do you, at what point are you letting too much of that into your life? Are you, should, should, you, should you not be like trying to wear a glimmer of that all the time? Or uh, at what point do you need to just learn what you can from that? When do you know when to stop and go on with your life? I think I understand your question. I'm not totally sure. I think you're saying, well, okay, let me guess and we'll see what we come up with. Um, it seems like you're saying I've, I'm working with a deity and that deity is really influencing me. Is this okay? And, um, yeah, it's okay. I mean, there's deity is sort of what deity is. What is deity? Well, it's it's a way, it's a it's an archetypes are a way of us connecting with something bigger than ourselves. It's a way for our small tiny, I mean, think about how small we are. We're just like this tiny. Like look around you and look at how many things are bigger than you. Almost everything. <laughs> right? And we have these little brains and the brain okay, our brains are little people. They're not big. But the brain will tell you, I am the brain and I am huge and I am the most important organ in you. And then you have to say to yourself, who's saying this? Oh, it's the brain. <laughs> you know, the brain has language, so it gets to talk itself up. I'm sure the heart would go on and on. What would the spleen say? I am the great God spleen and please listen to everything I say. It's like, well, all right. So the brain um, likes to tell us stuff and the brain, one of the brain's things the brain likes to tell us is we are bigger than anything and I am the center of all known things. And while there is a spiritual way in which that's kind of true, there's a narcissistic, narcissistic way in which it's kind of so not true. Um, so deity is a little way, deities are little ways of us connecting with the great mystery that all things are one, that all things are interconnected, and that all things are about love. And we encounter deity as a way to have story. Story is the way that we the language it's the food of our lives. We can no longer we can no more live without story than we can live without. Oh God, air, maybe air, definitely water, uh, food. I think we need less than story. We need story more than food. And I think it might be as vital and as important as, as, um, as air. We have a little, um, a little node in our brain, which tells stories. It actually, they found it. I don't know if they call it the story node. That's what I call it, but it's actually a little spot in our brain, which actually manufactures stories and it will manufacture stories about anything. They put electrodes on people to make their arm raise up into the air. Okay. And so they set the electrode off. Now the people don't know this is what the electrode for is for. And so they set the electrode. This is an experiment. They set the electrode off and the arm goes up in the air. My arm's going up in the air right now. And, uh, and then they say, Billy, why did your arm go up in the air? And Billy doesn't know because Billy doesn't know the electrode is signaling his arm to go up in the air. So Billy will go, well, I just wanted to stretch. That's his story node telling the story. It fills in the gaps. It'll tell a story that isn't even true. And so that's how we interpret everything. 
And so deity helps us, gives us stories to understand the great mystery of the oneness of all things, also known as the universe, the one song. The universe, the one song. You are a part of the universe. You are a part of the one song. And deity reminds you of that. And so when a particular deity comes to you, by the way, our brain tells us we chose the deity. Okay. Thank you, brain. You're so egotistical. <laughs> Thank you for holding me as a, a separate being. That is what I'm here to do. Thank you, brain, so much. Um, when the deity picks you, you don't pick it, it picks you. It says, hey, my story is the story that you're is going to be your teacher right now. And I bring my story to you so that you can learn about yourself. So you can better do your karmic journey. So you can better go navigate your spiritual life. So you listen to them for as long as they've chosen you. You offer them whatever it is you like to offer them. Um, their deity right? They're big. They're much bigger than you. And they're not even as big as the biggest thing, but they're the part you can hold on to. They're the part you can relate to. So whether it be Isis or the Buddha or Jesus or the great primal mother, you, uh, as RJ Stewart says, um, you hold on to that and you let it teach you and you let it teach you for as long as they are willing to teach you. And when they're done with you, when that story, when that archetype is done with you, they'll leave you alone and they may never leave you alone. And you might have to dedicate yourself to one or two or 10. I'm dedicated to more than one. Um, and what I suggest to you is that you go towards that you move towards deity that you can relate to and that speaks to you and that if you are starting to feel like your life is being taken over by it, just be sure that that for you, I mean, it's, you know, if it's taken over by it. It's kind of taken over by it. That's the spiritual journey. You know, that's, that's the, that's being uh, what's the word revelation or that's the uh, revelatory experience is to be, um, taken over by profound insights from somebody else bigger than you. Um, now caveat, which is this, if you're practicing spiritual materialism, then that's you all up in your ego, honey, about the deity. And that's the deity will teach you through spiritual materialism if that's what you choose. But you can run into problems with this if you're involved in spiritual materially, materialism. Is In other words, if you are working with that deity because it feeds your ego, because it makes you feel like you are superior or better than others or inferior, because that's being feeling, letting yourself feel inferior all the time, deflated self as opposed to inflated self. Um, and really cultivating deflated self is just as egotistical as cultivating inflated self too much. If you find yourself spending too much money on, you know, statues of Bast or whatever, then, or, you know, I must go, must go to the festival of the fairies for I am one with the fairy queen and I will spend my rent money on that. Then you are probably practicing spiritual materialism and you're showing people how special you are because you're special spiritual life. It's like, you know what? You're special because you were born, but you're not special because you have that wand, <laughs> you know? your your specialness is not about the stuff you have or how you can prove how cool or spiritual you are um 
It just isn't. Your specialness comes inherently within you. It's inherent. You are born. In other words, you inherited it. You have inherited your wonderfulness. And nothing you have, there's nothing you have to do to prove that to yourself or to others. And if you don't feel that way, you can heal that. And if you have a deity in your life, ask them to help you heal it because that's what they're there for. So put down the purse and um, make sure the purchase is in right action and right alignment with your spiritual purpose here on life and put down the ego and just surrender. Surrender to the wisdom of the higher power. I don't care what form it comes in. Every language, it's just every deity, every one of them is just a different language that appeals to different people at different incarnations. And that's all it is. There is no exclusivity. It's all, all roads lead to the one goddess or God, which is the unknowable, the vastness. It's be, it's not even mystery. The oneness and unknowableness of all things, the nameless one is beyond mystery. We delve into mystery, but this is beyond mystery. And so the smaller deities help us access that beyond mystery through opening a gate to mystery. This episode of Ask Pomegranate is brought to you by Crossroads Mystery School, taught by the amazing teacher, Sage Good. Check her out at sagegood.com. Sage offers telephone ritual workings, which are ways to, t to learn about the mysteries via the telephone. So if you live far away from a teacher, you can access her at sagegood.com. Crossroads Mystery School. S-A-G-E-G-O-O-D-E dot -E com. You can ask Pomegranate. Well, thank you so much for listening to Ask Pomegranate. Our podcast will come out about once a month, we hope. And I'd like to thank our primo engineero for all of his technical savvy and everything else he does. Um, it's been a great bunch of questions. I'm glad you all got to the end and were interested enough to listen to me rant for an hour. I love shock. If you like listening and you have questions, give us a phone call at the number 520-222-9922. And um really looking forward to hearing from you and may you all be well you can ask pomegranate five two zero two 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 ninety nine twenty two